Two pastors and Tom walk into a bar, but this is no joke. It's the start of a conversation between three friends about culture, God, beer, and more. So pull up a chair, order a pint, and let's get started. Welcome to the Neighborhood Pub, and welcome to Pine Class Preachers, where even we have a rough show every once in a while. Sorry about that. We're your hosts, Tom, Josh, and Gabe. Today, we're going to be talking about the state of being versus the state of doing. Honestly, when we started this whole thing, we promised Gabe that we would tackle a really existential crisis type of issue about every fourth episode. So, without further ado... Hey, everybody. Welcome to Pine Glass Preachers. Uh, we were just talking. I think that was Tom's best introduction yet. Yeah. It's like they keep going up. So I don't know I don't know how you do that, buddy, but uh, but you're killing it. You're killing it. It's Worth probably because he's getting gold. more and more excited to hear our inspirational openings where we make obscene noises or sing 1990s Christian worship. That is so true. Well, so at any rate, uh, Tom mentioned on the front end here uh, that uh, even we have a rough episode once in a while. And uh, so, you know, that maybe wasn't our best episode, the last one. These things happen. Um, but fear not, we've titled this one, Trust Us. This episode is better than the last one. With, so keep listening. So keep listening. Uh, with Trevor Sutton, uh, who's uh, an author, writer, scholar, and all-around good guy. We're going to be talking with him a little bit later. And really what the topic we're going to be focusing on is being. Uh, what does it mean to be? And so that's the little existential question that... Uh, Really rings my bell today. So excited today, to talk you mean about that. Like every day, every well, single time I talk to you, ever, you're asking this question. No, my and usual question is: existential crisis. Is, is should we keep? Does it? Does anything matter? Should we keep going? I mean, that's. Oh yeah, that's right. You're that's such a usually where I say. Nihilist. I am. I am. Well, it's hard. It's hard for things to matter. Is it hey, nihilist so, or like nihilist? Well, did you ever ever tell you this? I had a prof. We had a prof in seminary school. Who would tell us that whenever someone, like if there's a word that can go two ways, always just correct the person and tell them it's the other way. So like Augustine or Augustine, if someone says Augustine, say, no, 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 actually it's Augustine. Or, or like so if you say nihilist, I say, actually it's nihilist. Then you look smarter and kind of like a D-bag, but win, win, T- win. Tomato. This also sounds like a classic LCMS stance. If something goes both ways, you need to tell them. That you're wrong the way you're going, and you need to go the Potato. other way. It's true. That just sounds like politics in America. Hey, Hello. it really does. It does. It does. So I got to tell you guys the funniest thing that happened to me. Well, it's not that funny, but this funny thing that happened to me a couple weeks ago. So uh, wait, hold on. I, no, seriously, what? no one took the bait. I just said three words, and no one corrected me. Did all you do is say potato, tomato, and pillow? Oh yeah. I, Okay, it's pillow. Are you kidding me? I just said well, three words like, and it was completely ignored. Yeah, well, it wasn't fun. That's kind of All our right, MO so. on this show to begin with, is just ignore whatever you say. <laughs> it's really attributed to our success. Um, anyways, so like a week and a half ago, I'm at my office, uh, which is a, a, a coffee shop, and, uh, and I have my usual spot. What's that? Is it called Holy Grounds? No, it is called Roasters. Oh, okay. Um, but, uh, at any rate, so I'm there at roasters doing my thing and I get up and there's, and so I have like, there's like these three tables next to each other. I'm in the middle one. There's a guy to the right of me, a guy to the left of me. And, uh, I get up, go to the bathroom, come back. And the guy to the right of me, uh, has moved the surge protector and plugged his computer in, which is like, so it was on the left side of me. He moved to the right side of me so he could plug his computer in. I don't say anything. I don't care. I just sit down. And he looks at me and he just goes, hey, uh, I moved the surge protector so I could I could plug it in. And I say, oh, that's cool. He goes, I know it's cool. I just wanted to tell you I did it. And I like had no idea what to say. I just like 
like, just stared at him. Was he smiling? No, when he no, said no, no. This, or did that he was, was the like thing. angry. He was or? dead serious. Dead serious. Wait, what? Like, I know it's okay. I just wanted to tell you. I, I just kind of want to think about what, in his mind, what was an acceptable response on your end to what he I said. I'm like, what should probably I have like said to, to you, angry sir? Or something like he was probably expecting you to be like, you know, that's really inconveniencing. Like it was on my left hand side. <laughs> don't don't touch the surge protector that's owned by the coffee shop because I called shots on all the plugs, all the eight outlets. plugs. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> it was like the weirdest thing. I dearly hope you see him in the coffee shop another day. Well, oddly enough, I saw him today, and he had the middle seat, and I had the right seat. And, uh, and I thought about taking the surge protector over to my side and because it was on the left side again. I was like, oh, I'm going to plug it in and be like, I know, it's okay. Uh, shop, but that, that sounds more like the back of a station wagon. Is there only three seats, like left, middle, and right? Well, those are only seating options? Here's the thing. These are the money seats in the coffee shop because they have a wall behind you. So everyone thinks you're working, but you can just, as my worship director claims I do all the time, uh, listen to Rancid and scroll through Facebook. So... So That's pretend like uh, you're working when you're not actually right. working. Exactly. Exactly. It's hey, it's money. Let me ask you a question about that coffee shop because it seems that the more and more of these little great office coffee shops open up, they yeah. sort of drop the ball when it comes to one very important thing, the bathrooms. Why is it that there's only one urinal and one stall in the bathroom? It's like because then you hit bad timing. You're like, oh, man, I got to use the restroom. So you get up. There's already a couple people in there. And so yep. you have to sit there and wait and hold it. And it just, the line never seems to go away. Like, why not have more, like, seats for the bathroom? Now, are you saying this specifically because it's a coffee shop, which inherently makes you poo more and pee more? Exactly. I yeah. mean, it, coffee is a natural diuretic. And it's like it every is. other public place, even McDonald's has multiple options when it, goes, when it comes to the bathroom. But yep. every coffee shop that I've been to has, like, you got one toilet and one urinal, and you're literally... SOL if uh, if someone's in there. Yeah, that's true. Well, this one, it actually only has one bathroom with one toilet in it. Uh, so the line gets gets real crazy. Wow. Um, but yeah, but I've learned to master it pretty well. And I tell the baristas because I know them real well. Like if I ever you go to dibs on the bathroom. Well, number one, I call hey, dibs on it. But number two, it's mine. they let me have it whenever I want, because, uh, whenever I go twosies in there, I clean up my own skid marks. Cause like I know them and I'm like, listen guys, I don't want y'all cleaning up after me. It's not right. You're my friends. And so, so they love me for it. We need I can't, to end this. I so. can't wait to hear how this applies <laughs> to whatever we're talking about. But before we do that one, very quickly, I'm drinking a gin and tonic again tonight. Gabe, uh, I've got a Lone Star again, but it's a, it's a tall boy, 16 ounce. Oh, uh, so that's four more ounces of class. There we go. Uh, Josh, you know, Tom, I'm reminiscing on our time together in Virginia, and so this evening I'm imbibing in a Schwarz beer. That's a German style black lager. <laughs> in case you couldn't understand my German pronunciation. Uh, from Devil's Backbone Brewing Company. And just to keep it southern, I'm drinking it out of a mason jar. <laughs> That's what we like to hear. Uh, we're going to go into break. Uh, you know what, Josh, you probably don't know who this guy is. I barely know who this guy is, but we want to introduce him to everybody. Uh, Scott Schumann. Uh, he's got some great music, so we're going to go to break. going to vibe out on that a little bit, and then we'll be back. Every time it's clear when I hear those intentions Then Michelle and Michelle walks right through the door Those oversized rings hanging off her fingers Reassuring me that her life's not a mess While I don't doubt that she remains a mystery to me Welcome up back, everybody. Again, that was Scott Schumann, and he's from Denver, Colorado. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, we're going to get going with our conversation here, and to do that, Gabe's going to kind of set us off with uh, another hilarious story that hopefully doesn't end up in the bathroom. Actually, Tom, it's Colorado. Oh, Colorado. See how I did that to make myself look smart? That was good. Way Thank to you. tie in from before the break, too. We're never good at do that. Do what I can. Do what That's I can. Awesome. 
That was awesome. Okay. Well, so we're talking about being, my story is actually not funny. I just think hopefully it helps shape our conversation. So uh, we're talking about being and what it means. I think the first thing we want to talk about is this idea of being present, um, which is, seems to be pretty difficult in our age. So like, for example, I remember like two years ago, uh, my wife and I, we were up at my in-laws cabin and, and we're, we're hanging out. It was Christmas time. And uh, we're in this cabin in Northern Wisconsin in a town called Fifefield with like, there's like, eight people in the whole town. And so we go to the one restaurant, you know, put on the best flannel, make it happen. Uh, we sit down and we're the only people in the restaurant. But then about a half hour we, we got there, another family came in after us. It was four family, uh, you know, mom, dad, two kids that were like teenagers. And I kid you not, they walked in like single file line, all four of them face down, staring at their cell phones, doing whatever they were in Fifefield, Wisconsin, right? Middle of nowhere. I don't even know how they had reception. And then they spent the entire meal at their table staring at their phones. Didn't say one word to each other and then got up and filed out again. Uh, and, and so I just like remember that moment being like, man, this is like, this is our world now. And I'm not judging them because I think we maybe all fall into that trap. Um, like Josh, our last episode, you talked about that happening with you and your kids while you're watching TV. Um, but I think, I, I guess to me, that sort of makes me think of like, the ability for us to be present in the world, be in the present moment, uh, is is really difficult. And so let me just throw that to you guys. Is that a bad thing? I mean, here's here's a little beef that I've got with this whole cell phone situation. Now, I mean, I get it. Like, that story is ridiculous to be going to a restaurant with your family, not literally sharing one word while you're sharing a meal is pretty preposterous. But, you know, like, being on cell phones has, has gotten such a horrific rap lately. I mean, at least for the past, I don't know, five to ten years or so, ever since everyone's got an iPhone or an Android and Facebook and Twitter and all that kind of stuff, Instagram, you know, whatever. But I'm not necessarily convinced that this is more or less di distracting than previous generations of available distractions. You know, it's so like, so say I'm at home, right? I get home from a long day at work, which Tom doesn't believe that we pastors actually have. Uh, so I'll just say it's a Sunday afternoon, and I get back, right? I have multiple two options. I, two hours, that's it. That's all I do. I wake up, preach, and go home. Maybe mm -hmm. shake a few hands. Living right. Maybe Kiss shake Tom's hand. Eat a donut. Who knows? But I get home, and I've got multiple options, right? I can scroll through my Twitter feed, check out my Instagram pics. I can turn the TV on, watch a sporting event or something else. I can read a book. I can go outside and work in the garage and do manly, manly things. But like, how is that? With the exception of the cell phone, uh, how is that? Working in the garage is not simply a manly thing. Just pointing it out. Uh, <laughs> you're so terrible, Tom. Um, anyway, back to my extremely in-depth point. Yeah. Basically, what I'm saying is, every generation has had different opportunity for distraction, and the cell phone is just the most current one. Because if I put my nose in a book for three hours or stare at a cell phone for three hours, I don't. Convince yeah, me that that's different. Convince yeah, me it's different. I will. Okay. I will. I will. Right, go, Tom. Go. Okay. Calm okay. down, you two. I'm not a piece of meat to be fought over. <laughs> <laughs> so the distract – like I get it. If, if you're thinking about it in terms of all the other things that you could be doing, yes, it's just another thing that you could be doing. But what it does is because it is so accessible, I can do this thing on my phone while I'm eating per Gabe's story. I can do I it while I'm walking to the store. I can do it while I'm driving, even though I shouldn't, but we all know if you want to talk distractions, that accidents are way up because of people texting and doing things on their phone. And so what the what it is is you can go to your garage and do manly or womanly things in the garage. No, man, manly things, super but, manly things. But you can bring your kids with you and do something in the garage with them. You can read a book to them. You can watch that sports game with them. You can be with your family. And I've done this before. Somebody texts me. It's probably one of you two yahoos. I'm at dinner. I pick it up. I check it. I'm like, oh, hey. But then all of a sudden I see, oh, I've got three emails. And because I do this, I just click on it really quick to see how what incredibly important thing is somebody sent me at 6.30 at night. And then I get lost in thought on that. And all of a sudden my wife's like, hey, are you eating dinner with the family or not? And I don't think that existed 30, 40 so years so me, ago. I was going to say, so let me draw a distinction here, Tom. So your, your, your point here being like, the, the issue with, with cell phones and our inability to be present is that it damages uh, our relational capacity to the people that are physically around us. Well, oh, so 
it it can when it, when you're talking about in physical in physical presence when I'm in the same room as these people right. and I'm just buried in my phone. I all, I'm also talking about the fact that it is so accessible. I can't just go, you know, to read a book during dinner. I have to go get the book and you know bring it to the table. But my phone is in my pocket already. It's super yep. accessible and I can do it anytime anywhere. Well, so let me I, say this because like I don't I, think it's damaging. I don't think it's damaging to to relationships as much as an older generation does because right. of how interconnected we are. Right. But let me say this. So I like I get your point on the accessibility, but so this would be my critique of Josh's point. So there's kind of the being present with those that are actually in front of you and our phones are so easy to distract us from that. But then I would say, like, sure, Josh, like there's all sorts of other distractions, right? But guess what? Literally every single distraction you listed off is more productive, with the exception of maybe watching TV, is more productive than being on your phone and looking at Instagram. I read a book that's going to be better for me. I go do womanly things in the garage. See what I did there? That's going to be better for me. Uh, like, like, look at the Amish. Like, it's like, if they got nothing else to do, they're going to churn butter. And by the end of it, they got butter. What do you have by looking at Instagram for 20 minutes? Nothing. And so to uh, me, there's... Dis disclaimer... Yep. I actually don't even have an Instagram account, so this is unfair to be railing on me. Sorry, I guess the Happy Nomads didn't like my post today. Uh, that's Jenny's Instagram. Well, Shout out to I'll my put... wonderful wife. No, but let me say this. Let me say this. So, so listen. When I wake up in the morning, I don't get a subscription to a newspaper. Okay, you know where I get my news? Twitter. I follow local news stations. I follow people who offer me relevant news to what's going on in the world, to my life, for religion, politics, a wide variety of topics. And so if I wake up in the morning and I pour myself a cup of coffee and I'm sitting down at the breakfast table or on the couch while my kids are playing or watching TV and I'm reading the news on my phone, how is that different or sort of more damaging than reading a book and growing my knowledge in whatever subject it is or reading a newspaper because there was a time in which and I'm just going to be super, you know, I don't know, patriarchal or whatever. I'm going to be super patriarchal, but like look at all those movies on TV and think about like the 1950s. You had like dad, he would wake up in the morning, ignore his kids, read a paper, drink a cup of coffee, get home the from way work. God intended. That's right. Get home, <laughs> make the woman pour himself a pour pour him a scotch. And he would sit in his terry cloth robe and just ignore everyone and listen to the radio. You know what I'm saying? So it's like I get the I get the critiques. I understand them, but I think that this is just a new form of all previously available distractions. That's, that's all I'm saying. All right, all right. Tom, do you got a point, or you want me to move us on? Yeah, I think I was just like I was actually going to agree with Josh to the point of yeah, absolutely. I don't get a newspaper either, and I and and I get it on my phone. I'm actually really productive, and I learn a lot. I, I read the news. I read I read books on my phone. I do my business through the phone. So I can be incredibly productive sitting on the couch looking at my phone. But it's the, it's the point of, is do I need to be doing that right now mm -hmm. when I have other, especially when I'm in a room with other living, breathing adults? Do I need to be doing that right now? Well, yeah. Okay, well, let me ask you this existential question of being then. hey -o. Yep, I know you'd like this. If I'm being present while doing something on my phone that engages those in the room with me, then we are collectively being present with one another physically, but also being present with one another digitally. So if I'm like, hey, Gabe, we're standing in a room together. We're both on our phones. A, an, a, an observer would come in and say, oh, look at those two idiots. They're just sitting on their phones, ignoring each other. But what if we were, say, I don't know, sharing an Instagram post or, or Snapchatting or tweeting one another or something like that or sharing an experience together via social media via our phones, then isn't that accomplishing the same thing without necessarily damaging the relationship with the situation? Sure, absolutely. So yes, uh, two days ago, Austin and I went out for breakfast together, and he started I'm telling sorry. me all sorts of fun animal facts, and then he kind of ran out after five or six of them. And I said, hey, you want to hear some more? And he's like, sure. And he looks at me right away. He's like, daddy, get your phone out. So we get the phone out. We look up top 500 animal mm -hmm. facts, and we start going, we're doing this together. It's a lot of fun. Best fact of the day, iguanas, koala bears, and Komodo dragons both all have two penises. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's well, amazing. that's not sure that's age-appropriate with your son in a public place, hey. but 
Whatever. It was hilarious. I'm Tom, sure can I tell you, that actually is a perfect transition uh, to the next thing I think we should talk about. Uh, and that is, so, you know, iguanas, Komodo dragons have two penises, and we've all only got one, which makes me think we need to talk about being content. Nah. All right, so we talk about the importance of being present, but we've got to be content with who we are, what we have, what does that look like in our culture. Singular um, genitalia, that's what we're talking right. about right now. you got to be content with that. All right, wow. Josh, don't be okay. jealous of the Komodo dragon. I guess, I guess I should take off that poster of the Komodo dragon off my wall. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I, I think this is something that I've struggled with a lot, uh, especially in the last six, seven years, because... My first job was was working at a camp in northern Wisconsin. You know, certainly plenty of wealthy people up there, um, but having moved to the cities, there's a difference between wealthy and just insanely rich. And 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 there there's definitely that difference, and I and I definitely see that here in the cities. Uh, but working at camp, there was a very much there was this ceiling because you worked at a nonprofit at a camp in the Northwoods, and there really wasn't this like, man, I gotta have this, I gotta have that, I gotta have this, because that just was didn't enter into the equation. But since moving to the cities, you know, my neighbor has this car. My, you know, I wish I lived in one suburb over because there are nicer houses there, uh, bigger parks or things like that. And oh man, my friend who works in this industry makes three, four times more than I do, and he can yeah. go on these trips and do these things. And it's this constant, I have a good job. I have a nice home. I drive a nice car. But, man, I wish I lived in a bigger house and went on more vacations and things like that. And that is so annoying to me because I am I am aware of it. I am a, almost ashamed of it. Yeah. But at the same time, it's I, 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 want to be, I want to be more. Yeah, yeah. Well, and do you think, I feel like it's different for different people, right? Because, like, you describe all that, and I'm like, I super don't care about any of that. Like, I don't. I'm not trying to sound overly pious. I don't. But okay. what I wish I could do is, like, play soccer a lot better or play guitar a lot better or have a six-pack. And and none of those things are happening right now. And I suppose those are things I, I could work hard for, but I'm too tired. So, um, you yeah, know, like, like instead of drinking copious amounts of, of beer, beer while we record podcasts, three hours. I, yeah, but, but no, I mean, so like for me, it's not so much the, like, I got to have more stuff or, or have a bigger house or anything like that. It's more the, like, there's aspects of who I am where I'm like, man, I wish I was more like that dude. Like, I wish, I wish I had as great a beard as Josh does. I mean, it's incredible. And I can't, that's something I can't control. It's pretty epic right now. Just so you guys can't see me, but it's getting bigger and bigger. Really I wish is. I could run my fingers through it. I mean, yeah. I oil it and it's it's moisturized, so it, you wouldn't even get caught on a tangle, Tom. It's beautiful. Yeah. No, it's interesting you say that, Gabe, because I think that same thing like for Tom, I, I or with you, based on what Tom said, like I don't envy people's cars or homes or anything like that. I'm like super content with the quality of my life in terms of products. But I think that maybe this goes to <clears throat> different vocations and stations in life in which it draws your contentedness to um, you know status or achievements or something like that because I would say similar to you like I don't really envy people's stuff but a lot of times I'll say man I envy someone's status or position or you know like man I see this guy getting this opportunity how come I don't get one of those opportunities I'm working just as hard or I yep. feel that I deserve it just as much and I wonder if that can be you know, kind of uh, attributed to perhaps certain jobs or if it's just personality types. I mean, I don't know. What do you guys think? Like, is it, do you think it just comes with the individual or is, are there some type of, you know, societal or even religious constructs that sort of force people into that kind of, you know, mindset? Well, l let me, let me ask you this, knowing, knowing what the pastor's life is like and understanding, understanding that is, is it because there is, no matter how hard you work, you're not going to be pulling in five hundred thousand dollars. Like you, right. like there, there's not a pastor who's going to be making that, you know, unless you're in the. You uh, know. Well, okay. some do, but I was going to say I could I could name most a few. Normal dudes, we're not going to pull it off. It's not going to happen, right? And we wouldn't. We're not aiming for it. So but, yeah. But you know, when I worked in corporate America, it was very easy to imagine. Man, if I do my job well, I'll get this promotion. If I do that well, I'll get this promotion. And man, I can see myself in six, seven years pulling down. 250, yep. 500, you know, things like that. Yep. Like that dream is very attainable, 
because of the of the job or the or the the, the fields that I've picked. Would yeah. you say that that was instilled in you, Tom, or that you just kind of developed that through the jobs that you were working? Because at least oh, for I, me, you know, I I went through church planter training at a church that sort of, I mean, it instilled into me this: you need to grow huge, get big, basically gain all kinds of respect and fame for you know this this massive achievement and. So then when, when that doesn't happen or you know, you've decided to change focuses, then all of a sudden you're like, oh crap, am I somehow failing at what I'm supposed to be doing? Or you know, so like for me it was it was instilled into me, it's kind of driven into me that that this is what you should strive for when my personality wouldn't necessarily have done that naturally. Well, I think that's but, but what you're talking about there is you, it's this grow for a mission. It's 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 get this so that you so that we can get this church going, which has a broader mission than get more money. Yeah, you know? not really. Sounds, but it sounds really pious on the outside, but honestly, internally, I can no, imagine with Josh. Internally, it's not. You go to church and to a thousand, uh, and you've got people who are like, dang, that dude's got a thousand people coming to church, really and he did good. it all by himself. Like, he must yep. be a killer preacher, like, yep. awesome yeah. leader. He loves Larry Osborne and, yep. you know, Andy Stanley and all that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, it sounds pious, but you're absolutely right, Gabe. Like, there is such a, a selfish, you know, inherent desire that, that that's rooted in. Um, and like I said, for me, like, that's not really my personality. That wouldn't have been my natural ambition, but at the yep. same time, because of training and that installation, now it's like I sort of have to, like, detox from that to say, do I really – find my my content in doing that or, or being that person when I don't really see myself as, as who that is. Well, and let me make a clarifying point real quick, though. We're not saying dudes who have big churches or aim to have big churches and inherently have a bad desire that way. Like, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Nor, I'm, nor I'm people who are desiring to have a bigger house. Or, or a bigger or house or bigger money job. is necessarily here. That's yeah. a great point. Exactly. And so really it does come down to like, the ability to be content with what you have. And if God gives you growth in one of those areas, not letting that shape you, not letting that go to your head, which incidentally I think is why, you know, Philippians 4.13, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's in the context of being content, where he's saying I can have nothing and I can have everything. I can be in prison and I can be ruling the world and it doesn't matter. Nothing's shaking me. I can remain content regardless of what my external circumstances are. Also, why Paul references that he planted, Apollos watered, but it's ultimately God who gives the growth. Well, we could keep talking in existential circles all night long and into infinity and beyond, like Buzz Lightyear and Woody. Uh, but instead, we would like to get to our guest, Trevor Sutton, because, well, he's smarter than all three of us combined. So we're going to take a quick break and uh, listen to some more music from our friend Scott Schumann from the Denver CO. And when we return, Trevor... You remind us. Here we go. I could go back if I really wanted to hear the truth. You'd recant it somehow eloquently, then change your mood. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome back again. That was our boy, Scott Schumann, straight out of Denver, Colorado. He is a, a Scotty Scott of... Schumann. Oh, I feel beautiful. like I know Gosh. him. I feel like he, we're best friends now. He's a great man. He really is. Good dude. Uh, plays Austin City Limits every year. A uh, friend of mine from the cities, actually, Tom. We used to play together a little bit. So, Does he play SXSW, which stands for South by Southwest? That is correct. He does. Gosh, what a cool guy. Yeah, he is. He is. And I was actually supposed to play with him this year, and then I was out of town. What do you mean also, I play with him? Like play ping pong? Like play, or play, no, play drums. I was going to be his drummer. Oh, me? Oh, man. Yeah. Sorry for yeah. played an instrument. Yeah. I mean, I don't so play then, well. So then you would have played South by? Right? That was my whole dream. I was like, dude, no way. I could say I played South by. But no, it didn't happen. I was out of town. Gosh, so, we are just wasting our time. Say so, lovey. Yeah. Okay. Let's get to it. We have someone important with us, man. We are so excited, so honored to have with us here on um, the Pint Glass Preachers podcast straight out of Hazlitt, Michigan. Uh, he is an associate pastor at St. Luke's there. Uh, but more to the point, he's got a, uh, a bachelor's of arts degree from the Concordia University, Ann Arbor, home of the Cardinals. 
a Master's of Divinity degree, we'll explain that to you later, Tom, uh, from Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri, and he is currently working on a Ph.D., that's a doctorate, kids, at Michigan State University, home of the Spartans. His area of study is digital rhetoric and professional writing. He is the author of a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, he was in the Concordia Journal. He's been in the best American essays as chosen by Christopher Hitchens, which is amazing. Um, and, and so that's cool. He's spoken at a bunch of academic conferences, uh, wrote in a devotional book, but most recently is the author of a book that was published by Concordia Publishing House titled Being Lutheran. Trevor Sutton, welcome to the show, man. Wow. Thanks for having me. That was the most regal and uh, uh, excessive introduction I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> well, very, very fitting for someone who lives in a town named after like a Shakespearean episode or play. Has it? I feel like, Has I don't know, I feel like there'd be some that? quaint ink British town, you know, that Shakespeare made up. I wish I could say that's the truth, but it's not. <laughs> you guys ever wear, like, you know, Renaissance uniforms or costumes or anything? Tights? Uh, on the weekends, but that's it. Cool. That's fair. That's fair. Hey, so, Trevor, man, we're so excited to have you on here. We are talking about being today, and so that's why we wanted to have you on here, uh, and quite frankly, to work off your recent fame and, and hopefully get some more uh, social media push our way. Shameless. Um, we are absolutely shameless. We're shameless. Riding the coattails. We're honest. <laughs> we're just authentic about who we are. and We're, we're organically endless. authentic. That's right. Uh, and so, with that, uh, you wrote a book called Being Lutheran. And, uh, and I know you've, you've been talking with some other folks and I've and, uh, and, uh, been tracking you. And, and I listened actually to your talk at Concordia Ann Arbor, and you did a great job, I thought. Um, and there you really talked about the idea of, of you know, kind of why uh, Lutheranism and that sort of thing. But uh, actually, I'm talking too much. Let me just get down to the point here. You wrote a book called Being Lutheran. Why did you write it? <laughs> why did I write it? Yeah. Uh, so it sort of has been on my bucket list from – I don't know, from college to write a book. Uh, and I, I sort of figured that'd be like when I crossed the finish line at like 60, 70 years old, it'd be like a swan song into retirement. I wasn't expecting to, to cross that off my bucket list at, at this part of my life. Uh, but CPH contacted me and they had been, uh, Scott Kinneman was one of the editors there and he'd been kicking around this title, just a, a kernel of an idea called Being Lutheran. Uh, and he wanted to, kind of focus in on a younger audience. Um, I want to get in, in preparation for the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Uh, and so he contacted me and said, hey, I have this title, and that's about it. What can you do with it? Uh, nice. So that kind of started the conversation. And uh, where he got the idea was uh, Rowan Williams, uh, I think it's Archbishop of Canterbury or something. Oh, in yes. Church yeah. of England. Yes, yes. Yeah, um, that guy. Uh -huh. Yeah, of course. We, we know well. Personal, personal hey, on next episode, as a matter <laughs> yeah, of fact. Exactly. Oh, old Rowan, yeah. you say. <laughs> from Hazlitt. From, if yeah. we're talking Canterbury, now we can bring in Chaucer here, and now we've got... Don't do this. Tom, don't do this. This will derail us and kill this episode. <laughs> don't do that. Stop. But, but it ties into Josh's uh, Hamlet, Hazlitt thing. But, uh, but anyway, he, he wrote a book called Being Christian. Uh, and so it was kind of a riff on that book, being Christian. Uh, instead, it was being Lutheran. Well, so, so let, me, let me press yeah. on that. Why do that riff, man? Like Lutherans are Christians. Yeah, no, that's a great idea. I mean, so actually, so that they they gave me that idea that that here's the the kernel of the idea. Here's the title. Uh, and I sort of uh, what I'd call subversive compliance. I, I sort of said, yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm going to talk about Jesus, though. Uh, yeah. And so at the, at the end of the book, I mean, when I got to the end of the manuscript and I put it into a word processing, um, a word count type thing, uh, I, I mentioned Jesus four times more than Luther. Uh, and yeah. so I think, I think you're right. I mean, it, it is fundamentally being Lutheran is being Christian. Um, yeah. Particularly, it's following Jesus. So, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, so let me ask, so, you know, so you talk about what it is, uh, what a Lutheran is, let's say, is that it's about following Jesus, but why do you use the word being in the title? Like, what do you mean by the idea of being? Yeah, and so the, the, that was kind of their word, and I liked it. I didn't know why I liked it, though. I, I sort of was, like, drawn to that idea of it was catchy. It, it stuck with me, being Lutheran, but I couldn't. I spent a week after they emailed me and said, hey, are you interested in doing this, kind of figuring out, what, okay, what does that mean, being Lutheran? And I was kind of messing around with it, 
thinking, well, okay, how is that different than acting Lutheran? Yeah. And how is that different than thinking Lutheran? And that's really where I, I sort of realized that it's got to be somehow those two things together that being is different than doing or acting, but being is clearly different than um, just thinking about something or considering something. That somehow being is bringing these things together in sort of reflective action, um, in, in some sort of informed behavior, that, that kind of thing. So to me, being so, is, is, is kind of thinking and acting together. Okay, so so that was the 10,000-foot view. I'd like to hear, give me two examples, or, or one example of being Lutheran and one example of acting or doing Lutheran. Uh, but I want to be really careful here because a wide swath of our listenership here is not Lutheran, so I don't want to go down this Lutheran rabbit hole sure. and and just stick there. So so let's start there, and then we'll kind of and then we'll kind of branch out. You know, yeah, maybe so, you should have read the book, Tom. If you would have done that, you would have asked that question. I'm sorry, I didn't think all of our listeners had read the book. I'm just asking insightful <laughs> well, questions to lead the conversation. You should go to Amazon and pick up Being Lutheran. By I, I thought it was a good question. I get it though. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so so I kind of thought about that, about what, what would this look like to think something and not act on it. And I think this is not just a Lutheran thing. This is uh, certainly Christendom as a whole, but I, I, you know Lutherans resonate with this, that you can think about how the gospel is for all people, that Jesus has a heart for people who are disconnected, uh, but you can sit on the couch and not act, act on that thought. So you can conceptually get it. God has mercy for all people. Uh, the gospel needs to be proclaimed. And you can just sit there and drink beer on the couch and watch TV and, and never take that thought into any sort of embodied action. Uh, but then the opposite of that can be uh, you can act in a completely thoughtless, misguided way. So you can act in care and love for your neighbors, thinking somehow you're earning God's favor in doing that, which would be action, but devoid of any sort of uh, biblical, truthful thinking. Uh, you can pray uh, acting as if God's a, a slot machine. You just put coins in and, and you say the right incantations and God responds appropriately, uh, which is clearly without thought, without um, any sort of biblical chutzvah behind it. Uh, so that was what I was kind of, it helped me to understand what does it mean to bring these things together to then have right thinking and right action. And, and yeah. that's being... You know, that, to, to kind of define it by the opposites was really helpful for me. That reminds me of a, a story that my wife told me uh, when she was when we were living in Northwood. She was working at a at a children's museum, and someone who was working with her uh, was really having trouble grasping the idea that that and and not even Lutheran that that my wife was a Christian, but still engaged in activities every once in a while that that didn't seem Christian. You know, it was you know. Not saying a nice thing here, or or not saying a bad word, or, or or gossiping, or things like that. And she's like, man, you know, this is why I don't like Christianity because it's so hypocritical. There's this difference between what you say you want to do and how you actually act. And you know, to me, that's always been the beauty of of especially the Lutheran faith is that is that we live by grace. We understand that we are sinful. We understand that 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 we don't have any hope of li living this perfect life, of being this super pious, I'm doing these things with my neighbor, because that's not what gets us to heaven. It's it's God's grace that does that. And even though we live in a, in a sinful state, we are still living in, in a saved state as well. Yeah, no, I agree entirely. And you, you hit on the head that that sort of, in our absence of, of acting uh, in accordance to God's will, grace just floods our, our, our life and we're made new in Christ through that grace. And I see the life of sanctification as being sort of this constant struggle, this life of uh, you've come to know Jesus, you've been made new in Christ, and now you're living life as a follower of Jesus. And to me, it's just this this daily struggle of some days I'm better about thinking it and not acting on it, and some days I'm acting it without thinking on it. Uh, and I just try to, to me, throughout the book, it's trying to bring these two things together, like you're saying, that you conceptually understand as a, as a follower of Jesus, uh, I'm to love my neighbor and not gossip about them. You can get that mentally, but, but then to bring that in line with how you actually treat your neighbor is a daily struggle. Uh, and like you said, we're met with grace in the midst of that. Uh, but yeah, that's the whole point. It's kind of being Lutheran is 
is what's our thought and what's our action and how are these things uh, colliding? Well, I think ultimately that's what being a Christian, if you get down to it, is all about. You know, there's that <clears throat> really fancy uh, – I'm going to try and impress you right now, Trevor. Okay? You guys ready? There's this oh, great boy. Latin term called oh, simul justus et peccator. Okay? Oh, look at you. Yeah. Just dropped that bomb. Googled it. Yes. Uh, no, for real though, it is one of those things uh, that that really is a kind of a foundation of the, of the Christian faith, and one of our you know Lutheran emphases, I guess you could say, is that we are both simultaneously saved, we're saints, holy, righteous, and pure, but also continue to struggle daily in sin. And it's really funny because I actually just preached on this this last Sunday, um, based out of Galatians chapter two, where Paul's talking to the church in Galatia. And, and essentially he's saying, like, look, if we're found to be sinners, that doesn't mean Christ is a sinner or Christ is a servant of sin. You know, and what I was trying to, to tell people is, like, look, your continued sin is not a reflection of Christ, but your righteousness in spite of your sin is a reflection of Christ. And I think that really gets to the heart at what we're talking about in terms of being and doing because there are many Christian traditions and I would say uh, many existential crises out there from non-Christians that would say, you know what? My very state of being is dependent upon what I'm doing. If I'm being a good person, if I'm amassing wealth, if I'm earning respect, you know, you could just kind of add to the list. Those things that I've accomplished, the things that I do, ultimately impact or perhaps even define who I am, my state of being. And yet for Christianity and for Lutherans as well, as a subset of Christianity, we would say – you can actually have both, and they sort of inform and impact one another. Yeah, no, I think I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I love that. And, and actually, I should say, in the, each chapter kind of laid out, it, it begins in Jesus. And it talks about this truth that Jesus uh, embodied, this truth that Jesus taught, this truth that Jesus fought for, whatever that is. Uh, and then because it's a book about being Lutheran, it's talking about the Reformation. Then it moves to how Luther and, and Reformation uh, theology sort of recaptured this thing, reclaimed this thing, but then it moves to you. What does this look like in your daily life? What does it look like for you to uh, live in the new life in Christ, that kind of thing? But everything, every chapter begins in Jesus, uh, and it reminds me of Paul talking at Mars Hill. Uh, in him we live and move and have our being. Um, that ultimately if we try to find our being, like you're saying, existentially, uh, apart from Christ, it's, it's a struggle. Because you're constantly going to fail at bringing together right thinking and right acting. So uh, thankfully we have one who is able to do that on our behalf. Preach. And so let me, <laughs> let me, let me hop on that, though, Trevor, because I actually – I've read a little bit of your book. I don't know exactly right. remember what part it was. Here, but it's Here like comes a, a massive existential crisis. <laughs> just chill out. Here, here it comes. Uh, so – uh, it was, and I don't know what part of the book it's in or not. So I'm just sounds like it was really memorable to you, Gabe. It was yeah, really you great. Read, you read the back cover and are going to pretend really like you read the entire book. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. I read uh, an Amazon review that talked about page. I don't even know what it was. Yeah, it was something. Okay, thank you. Oh, Josh, <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Shut up. All right. So no, in this part of the book that I read, that no one else on this show read, except for Trevor. <laughs> Uh, Trevor, you wrote that on the cross, uh, Jesus nails apathy to the cross, right? So we talk about this idea, and so you talk about how in our culture there's kind of like this, this sort of, uh, it's it's sort of the air we breathe of of just sort of meh. This is kind of life. This is kind of it. Laissez-faire attitudes. Lase, ooh, very good. And and so in one sense. Uh, the, the sort of emphasis we have on grace, someone could say, man, that really perpetuates a laissez-faire attitude. Like, what am I going to do? I'm not going to change it. I'm a mess anyways. Uh, and, and so, but then you go on to say that, no, 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 on the cross in Jesus, he, he nails apathy to the cross. What, what do you mean by that? And then how does that, that flow into being and doing? Yeah, no, I think, I mean – sort of like you mentioned in the chapter I talk about this, but I just think apathy, and you guys were talking earlier about cell phones and just how ubiquitous this is, that just you can't go anywhere, you can't drive without seeing people on their phones. Uh, and somehow I'm just perplexed by how cat memes are more interesting <laughs> to us than like our children yeah. running around the backyard. 
uh, and I do this myself, and it just it just it's it's, it's a struggle that uh, to see this and recognize this. Uh, and what I'm just struck by is in the Gospels, uh, but also in the life of Paul and the life of uh, I mean throughout the New Testament, you just see Jesus uh, coming in and just setting this world on fire. Um, telling the, the disciples, you might as well just burn the boat because you don't need it. Come follow me. Uh, telling them, you know, let the dead bear the dead. Come follow me. Uh, so Jesus was not inviting them to a lukewarm uh, life of following him, this laissez-faire, this sort of, hey, you're covered by grace. Now just look at cat memes all day. You're, you're golden. Uh, but it was this, this cost of discipleship to kind of talk about Dietrich Bonhoeffer and, and his language. Actually, it's Bonhoeffer. Uh, oh, sorry, Bonhoeffer. Uh, I can have Josh pronounce he it because he's got the German beer figured out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, and so in Jesus, there's this powerful call to a life that is not lukewarm. Uh, and you see Jesus embodying this. You see Jesus uh, just setting the world on fire, the road to Emmaus, their hearts burned. I mean, it's just powerful stuff. Uh, and, and that's the thing I wanted to combat is that I think there's this idea that, oh, you're a Christian, you're awfully vanilla, you're awfully, uh, you like pastel colors, yeah. uh, you might wear plaid shorts springtime, yes. and you probably have a white picket fence and, you know, a Buick or something like that. Yep. Yeah, we all do. Yeah, and it's just, I, I see that do. as being nowhere to be found in the Gospels, this idea that, that, that a follower of Jesus, a new life in Christ is tepid, pastel, lukewarm, lazy, uninspired, just whatever. Gosh, your vocabulary is so good, Trevor, by the way. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This dude is so... You it know, really talk is, about being content. It really is great. I was <laughs> is there any way that we could get you to say, like, Tudor Tom with some vocabulary to make him sound smarter <laughs> or something like that? I'd be glad to. That'd be fun. <laughs> Thanks, Trevor. Hey, <laughs> talk way, good, Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Trevor, I did notice you're drinking something there. Our listeners can't see it, but uh, we do like to share what we're drinking when we when we speak. What what do you got tonight? Yeah, this is uh, Dragon's Milk by New Holland Brewery. Oh, uh, good for you! In, in Holland, yeah, it's wow. actually a, bir- a birthday gift from a buddy of mine. So, did you just have a Sounds birthday? So delicious! Yeah, it was maybe a week ago or two weeks ago. Well, happy birthday, buddy! You Thank can't you. remember your okay. I don't know. Maybe, you're one too, many, right one now. too many sips off the teeth of the dragon's milk. Can he remember his own birthday? The days blur together. Dude, Trevor, it was so awesome having you on here, and and we really appreciate you taking time to be with us tonight. And um, so we want to give you a plug. First of all, if you have, if you want to read any of Trevor's stuff, learn more about him. You can go to atreversutton.com. Is that correct? That is correct. Yep. His first name right. is August. That's why. It is August the fourth. There it is. Um, Dude, that's but, so see, look at that. Even his name has like Roman numerals at the end of it. He's like, oh he's Josh, are you trying this. to get a Jeez. date with him, Josh? Or <laughs> he doesn't know this, but my, my second child was named after him. That's true. Hey, yeah. but even even more than checking out his website, you need to buy his book. Uh, I don't care if you're Lutheran, not Lutheran. Uh, Christian, non-Christian, whoever you are, Trevor is a very gifted writer. You can tell by, by his vocabulary compared to us <laughs> idiots. Uh, and so, so you need to pick the book up. It's really good. The one page I read was excellent. And so I'm sure the other, how many pages is it? Uh, it's it's about 300. The other 299 <laughs> are just as good. So you give uh, so, one three hundredth of an endorsement, or what? Wow! That's what you get. Hey, one three hundredth of an endorsement from this guy, Trevor. Big Trevor, big Trevor, time. does the book have any pictures? <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a front cover. Uh, hey, so I'm out. All right. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. Awesome. Awesome. Well, dude, thanks again for being here, Trevor, and uh, we really appreciate your time tonight, man. And uh, we're going to roll out and uh, listen to a little more Scott Schumer.
back uh, once again. That was our <laughs> oh, our friend from Denver, Scott Schumann. Scott, thank you for the tunes for this evening. And you may have thought that we got rid of Trevor, but we didn't. Not because we wanted to kick him out because we were jealous, but frankly, he's got a life, and we don't. Uh, mm-hmm. But instead, in our conversation while listening to Scott Schumann, uh, you know what? Trevor had some really insightful things to add to our conversation to kind of bring everything to a close. When we talk about being and doing and just all of the existential crises that Gabe undergoes minute by minute throughout the day into this idea of 2KR. Oh, I love that game. I played that just a couple weeks ago. Killed it. Not NBA 2K, Tom. Uh, And you know what? Get off the video game console. Try being present with other human beings. No, we're talking two kinds of righteousness. And for those of us who are Lutheran pastors and theologians, everyone on this episode except for Tom, that means something far more important. You know, my dad's a pastor, and that's close enough. You didn't listen close enough. That's actually what happened. It's true. Well, yeah, so we we wanted to keep Trevor around because I think literally he's been – they, what's the word people have been saying about you, Trevor, lately? It's like, he's the guy who's making Lutheranism sexy again. Whoa! <laughs> it was kind of, I think, what Trevor's the... Trevor's bringing sexy back. It's like, you know, what Mark Driscoll did for the Reformed tradition... You mean before for he like, completely and utterly exploded? Oh, yeah, it's only yeah, inevitable that's before that's Trevor... Comparison there. <laughs> yeah, I would say, Trevor's he's circling the drain, but until then, he's going to look really good. Uh, and we're gonna we're gonna ride that we're gonna ride that train all night. <laughs> um, but Trevor, so we're talking about being and doing, and and as Josh mentioned, we think that that you know I think really comes to a great point in in uh, what is a really important belief for us. I think in in two KR two kinds of righteousness. Uh, would you mind sharing with us kind of your thoughts on that and where you see that coming together? This idea of being and doing in light of the two kinds of righteousness. And if you can break down what they are for our, our viewers, and by and viewers, yeah, I mean sure. listeners. And Tom. And Tom, especially. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, so, guys. So, yeah. so two kinds of righteousness. Uh, recognize as you read through Scripture, there's two kind of clear paradigms, two kind of uh, clear operating systems, if you want to borrow from computer languages, uh, that, that, that our righteousness is very different depending on how we're talking about it and what realm that righteousness is. And righteousness is just simply being right or, or being in good standing. And our righteousness on a vertical level, our, our righteousness before God, uh, since Josh was dropping Latin bombs, uh, quorum Deo, before Ooh, I God. I love it. I know. Yep. But, but our, our righteousness before God, uh, we bring nothing of benefit to the table. Uh, we bring sin. We bring death. We bring despair. Uh, we bring our failure to, to bring our, our thinking and our acting into to, to line with each other. We bring Vin Diesel movies. It's we bring Vin it's... Diesel movies, you <laughs> name it. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but we bring all of that brokenness, uh, nothing good to the table, uh, but Christ <laughs> brings his righteousness uh, to us in that relationship. So we're, we're passive in that regard, that we receive that uh, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus. Uh, and that's that vertical realm. Real quick, uh, yeah. you're saying there is no Vin Diesel movie so bad that we cannot be redeemed by Christ. <laughs> Not at all. Okay. You've seen the pacifier though, right? <laughs> I'm vaguely familiar with that one. I think he's a babysitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay, right, so move it along, move it along. So we're made we're made right before God, we're made righteous before God, quorum Deo, purely because of what Jesus has done for us, purely because of God's grace for us in him through his work on the cross. Exactly. And then there's a completely different, uh, legitimate, biblical way of thinking about this, too, that we see Jesus encouraging, we see throughout Scripture, that uh, the Latin is that is quorum mundo, uh, before the world, before one another. And in that regard, we're not passive, uh, we're completely active in that. Uh, and so that's inviting us to be uh, good neighbors. That's inviting us to live out our, our vocations, our callings as uh, neighbor, father, pastor, uh, husband, friend, brother, whatever that is, sister, uh, to live those things out. And, and that's where we can encourage one another and, and get it together. Uh, you're not acting in, in accordance with your thinking. Uh, you're saying one thing and doing another. Uh, and, and so those two things are legitimate and valid, but they're they're distinct and different. 
But where they come together is is you and the person, a baptized child of God in Christ Jesus, uh, that you can at the same time say, I'm fully saint because I've been redeemed by Jesus. Everything he's won for me on the cross has been given to me by faith. But then you can also say, I'm fully sinner. I'm fully uh, unable to do what I'm supposed to do. I need to try harder. I need to do better. I need to make the broken things in my life right. Uh, and confusing those ends up creating a lot of problems. I think those existential crises of my standing before God depends on how good I am uh, to my neighbors, which is just simply not true because your standing before God is simply who you are in Jesus, yeah. redeemed, child of God. Uh, and so I think it really it solves a lot of those tensions and those struggles that you can uh, honestly and openly say, I'm saved by grace. I need to live out God's will daily. They're both and think, true. And I think for me, man, like, you know, I hear you talking there. And, and I think what I love is that if you get the the before God, the, the passive righteousness, the quorum Deo before God right, and you recognize, like, that's a place where in your being you can rest, that, like, that's mm -hmm. been transformed. There's nothing to earn there. It's like a place of peace, a place of rest where nothing changes that, nothing shakes that. And, and so if you can move from that place, you move out in the world to do things in love for your neighbor and love for the other. Um, that is, it's, it's, it's not a struggle. It's not painful. It's not, it's not horrendous for you because you're coming from a place of peace, a, a being that's been transformed by Jesus. Well, you know, and on that note, I'd like to, we, we haven't done this before, but perhaps end us with a little bit of scripture. Uh, and Paul in Galatians 2.20, he actually kind of really gets us to the, gets to the point with all of this uh, about being versus doing and where our true identity lies, uh, where our righteousness lies in, in both before God and before our neighbor. And he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And I mean if you think about the power in that statement, we have the living Christ dwelling inside of us, which gives us that status before God where we are completely made right regardless of our you know, inclination to sin while still alive and on this earth. Yet at the same time, Christ's love is what compels us and demands us to, well, exist in a very loving and beneficial way to our neighbors. And so, Trevor, once again, this is for real. We're kicking you out. <laughs> Go do something far more entertaining and fun than hanging out with us three stooges and uh, for the rest of you um, well I got a few shout outs I want to make before we get off tonight uh, first you know what? if you want to visit Gabe offer him hugs uh, I need a listen to terrible beatboxing apparently not sure where that came from but uh, if you want to give him hugs and bring some tissues and just walk with him through these existential crises that he seems to have on a regular basis then you can go check out Axe in Leander Texas if you're like me and are just so blissfully unaware and naive of all things life-related, uh, then you can come out and visit me in Chattanooga, Tennessee, Bridge City Community. Or you can hang out with Tom. Uh, I, th I think he's somewhere in the middle. He, I'm not feeds sure, the, not sure. he feeds the entire state of Minnesota with oh, second yeah, harvest. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. With weird mutated corn crops because I think that's what they do out there. Soybeans, I don't know. It's usually too cold and covered in frosty tundra. So, Tom, you continue just to reflect on who you are and what you should do with your life. <laughs> and for the rest of us, uh, we're going to move on with our lives. So, once again, thank you, Trevor, for joining us. Uh, Get the book, Being Lutheran. My pleasure. Thanks for having being me. Lutheran. Hopefully you're not dumber as a result of this conversation. Uh, and finally, uh, please... Uh, Continue to uh, to listen to this, to this show. We love having you guys subscribe, be a part of it, share with your friends uh, what we're doing. Feel free to hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, whatever you want. And uh, we are just love doing this show. And uh, next week, or two weeks from now, or other, we're on every other week platform right now. We've got some exciting things going on. We got a, a guest coming with us. Who's joining us next week, Josh? Shane Blackshear. Awesome. And what are we going to be talking about, Tom? I have no idea, but what I'd like to talk about, I think what we're going to be doing is we're going to be uh, talking with Shane about some of the things that have been happening over the last couple of weeks and months that 
we don't really want to build a whole show around, but we're going to be hitting things up like this Stanford swimmer. We're going to be uh, talking about transgender bathrooms. We're going to be talking about the deaths of prominent figures and, and what it means to our daily lives like Muhammad Ali, Prince, things like that. We're going to be hitting a lot of different topics, and I think Shane's going to really bring in some uh, some really smart and balanced uh conversation of this piece that we're just not able to bring the three of us and more importantly he's got a a wicked awesome beard kind of like me so it's just gonna be a beard fest i'm really excited for it all right y'all that's our episode thanks for being with us today much love pine class preachers out